I had lived all of my life in a posture of self-preservation. Like, how do I take care of me? And I had no idea that that had looked like, if you're okay, I'm okay. I had no idea how much of my life it was not about taking care of me personally. It was about making sure everybody else was okay so that I could be okay. And so no wonder why I had lost myself and I didn't even know where I was. I wasn't in my own circle. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. I'm your host, Nicole Ingram. And I'm your host, Hannah Warren. Hey, friends. Today, Lindsay and I sit down with certified Enneagram coach and experiential specialist, Jackie Brewster, to talk all things relationships. Jackie works with teams and organizations committed to conflict resolution and good communication, as well as those simply desiring deeper connection with themselves and the people they love. We've heard so many folks talk about the Enneagram, but Jackie has such a palatable way of unpacking it as a tool that sheds light on behavioral patterns and brings clarity and understanding to people's lives. I love how honestly she shares about how much of an impact this tool has made on her relationship with herself, her relationship with her husband, and how she shows up for her kids. It's so clear. Enneagram Awareness has helped Jackie foster deeper, more meaningful connections inside her relationships. And you can feel her earnest desire to share this tool with anyone who is ready and willing to experience lasting change in their life. So without further ado, please join us in welcoming Jackie Brewster. Hello, Jackie Brewster. I'm so happy to meet you. We are on with Jackie Brewster, certified Enneagram coach and creator of the Enneagram Essentials deck that we have mm-hmm. here at Onsite in the Mercantile. And she is a sweet, dear friend of Lindsay Nobles. So why don't, before we yes. jump in, why don't you all tell me about your origin story? How did you guys meet? How do you become friends? You guys kick it off. Oh my gosh. Do you want to talk about it, Lindsay? I can, yeah. Yeah. I actually knew Jackie's husband, mm-hmm. Steve, before I knew Jackie. We had met on the internet through, I guess, like Instagram or Twitter, whatever it was back like 15 years ago or 10 years ago. But <laughs> um, we got to be friends. <laughs> and then he, yeah. he randomly took a job here in Nashville at the church that I was attending. And so as soon as he took that job, he like messaged me and was like, we're coming to Nashville and I cannot wait for you to meet my wife. So I think the first time we met was like in a church parking lot. Your kids that are now in middle school, high school and college were babies. Yes. And we just became fast friends. Mm -hmm. And I remember like telling everyone that they were going to love Jackie and she's just so great and such a gift in my life. But I think what's really cool is just how much you have changed in the last decade that I've known you. And I was thinking back uh, sort of in preparation of this conversation about the early years of our friendship and your house would be chaos with your baby of four mm-hmm. kids Love at the it. time that were all pretty young. And I would just come over and we'd make dinner and then we'd sit down and talk. And a lot of time your husband and I would like get down to talk and shop Mm -hmm. and you would always kind of laugh and be like, I have no idea what y'all are talking Mm -hmm. about. And you know, like, and then it's just been so cool to see you like now, Mm -hmm. like have your own thing. Mm -hmm. 
beyond your kids, which right. was a very big thing and a very important yeah. thing. But just watch your light come on. And like so often now it's like we all are just kind of talking work, talking life, talking kids. And mm-hmm. but it's been fun to see the Enneagram really be the thing that like kind of turned your light on. Yeah. Yeah, thinking back, I remember the parking lot. Like, I don't I don't remember things very well, you guys. <laughs> I take a lot of notes when I see my clients and stuff because I don't Love remember it. things well. But I remember the day that I met Lindsay. I remember mm. the parking lot. I, I remember that whole day. She has been a huge part of my life. I could cry. Like, such <laughs> a huge, important piece to my story for the years. She was one of those friends that showed up in the midst of my chaos with our children. Mm-hmm. And she loved me in spite of myself in those seasons of my life. And she, I never felt judged by her. I never felt anything except for supported and loved. And mm-hmm. life is tough. You know, life yeah. is hard. And so, so hard. To, to have a friend that has seen you kind of in the probably some of the darkest seasons and hardest seasons of my life and to still be linked arms with the same friend and and supportive like she's so supportive of what I'm doing but to be a part of that story all the way through I'm so thankful for the friendship I that I have with Lindsay we're three minutes in and I'm already like misty-eyed <laughs> It's <laughs> so sweet. It's just sweet to to be seen and known in the midst of any season yes. and to kind of have yes. friends that walk you through and are still there on the other side. And so it's just so beautiful. So tell us about how you got connected to the Enneagram. Like what was your first relationship to it? How do you find it? And like you're obviously still in relationship with it now. So what what does that yes. trajectory look like for you? So it's probably 13 years ago that um, I got introduced to the Enneagram by a dear friend of mine after a walk with our kids. And I, my, my twins are the babies of the family. And so at this point, they were just little skinny, tiny twins too. And they could get out of anything and they caused a lot of chaos. They still do. They did and they do. And I was going for a walk with this particular girlfriend and she had a child that was like a year older than mine. So mine are like two or maybe not even two at this point. And then hers hers is like a year older and you know her child's like reading her book and eating her goldfish and she's got her sippy cup and it's so sweet and mine are beating each other up in the double stroller double runner that I thought was going to be a good idea it was not I never went for a run with them because they beat each other up the whole time (laughs) but so it was like this chaotic day where the twins were acting crazy and then they somehow figured out that they could get out of their stroller like they, they wiggled all the way out of their stroller and then took off And then I had to chase them while my girlfriend and her sweet child were just sitting there. And I looked crazy because I was, honestly. Lindsay knew me in this season. I was crazy. I I, I don't think I was sane in this season. And that day she messaged, or I think she probably called me. This is a long time ago. So it's probably a phone call. And she said, hey, I just want you to know I sent you this book that I think you're going to love. And I was like, awesome. Y'all, I love to read. So give me a good book. I can get lost in somebody else's story that's not my own. You know, like, give me something that's some fantasy land that's not this chaos, right? Yes, (laughs) yes. yes. Well, uh, a couple days later, (laughs) yeah, that's what I wanted. A couple days later, I got this Enneagram book with this weird symbol on the front, and I thought, what in the world is this? (laughs) I opened it up, and I quickly realized, oh, okay. I think she thinks I'm not okay. And you know Mm. what? I don't think I'm okay. Mm. And um, it it was the beginning of a journey of, uncovering and discovering the parts of me that were not okay 
and yeah. in, in holding space for that those parts of me to heal. It gave me language to things that I that were felt confusing about me, or I mm. felt like um, people had to tolerate me in a lot of different circles. And I realized that I too could be a person that deserved to be celebrated. Mm. And so I'm so teary saying no, this to I, you guys. It's so <laughs> weird. Maybe it's just having Lindsay this face that yeah. has seen it all the way through. Because I talk about this all the time, and I don't cry, Lindsay. We but welcome tears around here. Oh, my goodness, I know. I've been yeah. I've been in your care. I know. Had <laughs> <laughs> a lot of insight. We could talk about um, that in a little bit. Yeah. Oh my gosh! But I yeah, I think it was the journey, the the beginning of of reading words that that penetrated my heart in a way that made me feel I was okay, that I was not mm. this lost person, this mess of a crazy. You know, everybody would always say like, oh, your husband, he's so like type A. And then there's Jackie. And I'm like, then there's Jackie. There's four little people following around <laughs> behind me. And like, I don't know where Jackie went, you know? Yeah. And so I feel like the beginning of this, the journey of the Enneagram was like picking up the pieces to me mm. and starting to make some sense of my own story. And then from there, it grew into a passion that ended up, looks like a career. That's what it looks like. So, um, you know, stepping into some really beautiful things. Yeah. Your new book, Jackie, is about Enneagram and marriage and relationships. Mm -hmm. And so thinking back to that initial stage when you're first learning about so much about yourself, right? Getting language about parts of your past, parts of your current story. What did that translation look like with between you and Stephen, your husband? Just kind of, It's almost like learning so much about yourself and then wanting someone else to see like this illuminating information in the same way. Like, was that mm-hmm. tricky? Was that kind of, did, did he jump on board immediately? Like, what did that look like? That's a, such a great question. If I think back to the beginning of that time in my life, I'm sure we had conversations around things like, look at yeah. this sounds like me. And I don't know that he was super interested in it like he is today. That's what I'll say. Yeah. Because yeah. it's been a rough road between marriage and kids and ministry and life. So I, I feel like there wasn't a ton of space in that season for him to mm-hmm. look over and say, like, are you okay? I think he yeah. thought, like, you're okay, right? Like, I'm working really hard and you've got, you know, like everybody's being fed and there's clothes on people's bodies and we're doing good, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think he recognized just how broken I was. And then fast forward a couple of years and then he realized how messy mm-hmm. things were. And then through the years of that, because we've been married for 24 years. So through the years of, of it, I think as... As we progressed, he's been able to really understand and hold space for me today, much different than 13 years Mm. ago, much, much different than 13 years ago. He had to do his own work. And I think like the Enneagram started to scratch some surface on his work. And uh, it wasn't until he was ready to walk into that, that he could do his own work. So I, I don't know in me that there was a really strong like leaning of like, I need you to see this about me. I don't Mm. think that that's. Lindsay could probably speak into that if you thought something different about me, Lindsay. I would love you free reign to say, like, actually, but I think I've always been kind of pretty independent. And I'm an Enneagram 7, so my heart longing is to know I'll be taken care of, but I don't trust Mm -hmm. that that will ever be true. So I don't, I haven't, I'm doing better. I haven't. In the past, I wouldn't really let people into the the more tender side of my story. And so Mm -hmm. I would have felt like I needed to fix myself back then, where today I understand that it's the relationship of he and I together, the reciprocal side of the relationship, that healing happens. What advice would would you or do you give 
to clients that you see or people that are listening around, I think a lot of times, like we see this at onsite too, like one person in a relationship starts to do work and they start kind of changing and they want their partner to be there with Mm -hmm. them in step and also evolving and changing at the same speed. And it's rare that, that those revelations happen at the same time. And so I'm curious what your advice is for people that are wanting their partner to sort of Mm -hmm. do their work, but waiting. Yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, I see that all the time with what I do and experience it on site myself in this area and experience it in my own life where I was having revelation and he wasn't yet. And it wasn't until he was ready to do his work. So I, I, I do a lot of work around like this is your circle or this is your hula hoop. One of your instructors would have helped me with that language for sure. But this is your hula hoop. So it's my responsibility to figure out what fills me up. And so I can I can always look at the other person and, and point blame or tell them that they need to figure it out too at the same time, but it's not really my responsibility. So mm-hmm. really the the focusing on my part that I play in my own story in my own life has been huge. Like the awareness, I feel like Enneagram gives us a really good tool around awareness. So becoming aware of my own patterns, why do I do this to begin with? What am mm-hmm. I looking for? What am I trying to gain? Becoming aware and then acknowledging, you know, is it working? Like the way that I'm trying to do this, is it working? And then from there I can decide what that looks like for growth. So that type of language helps me to communicate with other clients when they're talking Mm -hmm. about couple work. Like you can't fix people. You can listen to them. You can hold space for them, but it's not our job to fix them. But you can, you can fix you. I, I hate saying like fix you. You can become aware of your patterns of behavior and decide what is working and not working. And you can seek out help to figure out what, what does that pivot towards growth look like? And yeah. so a lot of the work is, is I, yes, I understand you want your partner to link arm in arm, but until we have a relationship that is reciprocal, meaning that when you reach for them, they're going to respond that they're going to be engaging in in your story as much as you're engaging in theirs. I don't know that it's a safe base for you to have that expectation yet. Mm. Speaking about the Enneagram as a tool for growth, can we, for our listeners who don't, aren't familiar with the Enneagram, can we like high level give a little bit of a breakdown of like what, what it is? And maybe, I don't know if we could quickly go through the the nine types without (laughs) getting too exhaustive. So the Enneagram is a personality typing system. It's different than some of the other type typing systems that we use, like Myers-Briggs and things like that, because there is actually a growth track. We can look at this and see what's working and not working. It also gives us insight to patterns of behavior. And at the end of the day, that's really how I use the tool of the Enneagram. It, it really gives us a clear picture of the patterns of behavior we've developed as early as the age of two in our lives around messagings like, how do I keep myself safe? How do I get love? And how do I get my needs met? And so this tool, it does focus on nine different personality types, and they have different heart longing messages, different unconscious childhood messagings, different ways that they view the world. And so when we understand that oftentimes the person that we're in relationship with looks nothing like us on the, you know, in their head or uh, inside. It helps us to hold space a little bit different. Um, It did for me anyways. But so, yeah, so nine different personality types. The Enneagram one would be the moral perfectionist or the reformer. People like that word better. I, you know, whatever 
works for you as far as language goes around that. But uh, they really focus on doing what is good and right in the eyes of others. They want they don't want to make mistakes. They want to be seen as good people and above board. The Enneagram 2 is the supportive advisor. They are highly relational people, kind, generous, caring, giving. They really want to know that they're loved and wanted or wanted and needed in a work environment. So that's really important to them. The Enneagram 3, the determined achiever, I'm married to this number. So they are go, go, go. Uh, they're, they really fall into the trap of believing I am what I do. And so therefore, success is really important to them. You know, achievement, status, those things t- tend to be really, really important to the Enneagram 3. The Enneagram 4, uh, the romantic individualist. Uh, the Enneagram 4, you know, oftentimes struggles with feeling like maybe they don't fit in or there's something different about them. They want to know that they're accepted, but sometimes they have a hard time believing that people would accept them for being exactly who they are. And so they struggle with some, I don't want to say they struggle with feelings. They have more access to feelings, I think than most of us do. And I, that is that, that is it, is that they, they typically can, they feel it in a different way than most of us do. And then how they express it. Sometimes people are not kind when they want to express it because it makes everybody else uncomfortable. That's, I think, a big part of it. But we need them. <laughs> we do. Oh my gosh. We I'm raising so a two. Much. Both of my, I mean, I'm raising a four. I've got two sisters that are fours. I got a lot of fours in my life. Lindsay's a four. Lots of fours in my life, right? I love it. I do too. The Enneagram Five, the investigative thinker, they oftentimes feel like the world is a scary place that maybe their needs are not going to be met. So they, they gather resources and information as a way to keep themselves safe. The Enneagram Six is the loyal guardian. The Enneagram Six, they have two different ways of showing up. I think it's important I say it because I get I get asked a lot about it or people push on me a lot on social media around the two different ways. So there's two different different looks of an Enneagram Six. There's one that is more cautious, more, you know, maybe more phobic. I don't really like that word, but it could be more phobic just more cautious. And then there's another type of six that's more bold and willing to go into their fear and conquer their fear. Uh, But the loyal guardian, they typically need um, an institution, a belief system, a group of friends, somebody, you know, people that they can move towards to find some safety and security in the world. So they're looking for that. They're looking outside of themselves to figure out how to be safe and secure in the world around them. The Enneagram 7 is the energetic enthusiast. Uh, and they, you know, they feel like it's their job to be upbeat, positive, happy. And this stems from early childhood. People like happy people. And so they learned really early on, like, the way that I'm going to get my needs met is to be happy, is to suppress those those deeper emotions, not even to go near them or don't even acknowledge that they exist. And so, you know, that's one of their coping strategies is is be happy, upbeat, let's go, let's do all the things. And maybe there's something to scratch underneath the surface or a lot to dig out, <laughs> like in yeah. that, you know, but yes. it's, it's definitely there. So even when you asked me that question earlier about like, did I look to my husband mm-hmm. in that, in the early stages of me learning about myself? No, because I didn't know how to go into feelings. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I couldn't let him into a world that I wasn't, that I wasn't sure of. Yeah. Makes perfect so sense. It took me a long time. I'm still I'm still working on it. It's really hard yeah. to wow. to let people in there. So the Enneagram eight, the protective challenger, they usually have like a, a strong presence, a boldness about them. They oftentimes care about the underdog. They they want to fiercely protect the people that they care about. They don't want to be vulnerable or exposed in any way. And so they there is a, a pretty good protective barrier on them. 
but probably one of the most tender hearts of any number on the Enneagram. Mm. If you can actually get access to it, they love well when they love for sure. Yeah. And then the Enneagram nine is the the peaceful mediator. I always think of them as an owl. They sit on top of the Enneagram and they they see all sides of a situation. They're typically very kind and generous people. They want everybody's voice to be heard, including their own, but they're often reserved on how they go about doing that. And so they don't want to assert themselves. You know, they, they don't want to put themselves out there. They don't want chaos and confusion. So oftentimes they try to figure out how to avoid those things. And that sometimes go along to get along until, again, they do some work. And they're like, wait, I want my voice to matter too. And I want to do great things too. You know, then we all have to show up. We have to learn to show up for ourselves. So, yeah, that's the nine numbers. Hey friends, Hannah here. I'm interrupting this amazing conversation with Jackie because so far in this episode, we've talked a lot about relationships through the lens of the Enneagram. Let's be real. We all long to be in healthy, thriving relationships, but healthy, committed relationships are sometimes harder than it looks. As humans, we're all wired for connection, but unfortunately, a lot of us didn't get our most basic emotional needs met when we were children. And so when we didn't get these needs met, we started to look to others to fulfill those needs, ultimately affecting our self-worth, our self-esteem, resulting in harmful and hurtful relationship patterns, even in adulthood. The truth is we repeat what we don't repair. So we're going to continue to live out the same scenarios and situations we experienced growing up until we find the space and guidance we need to explore what's behind those unhealthy patterns. And that's what I love about our Healthy Love and Relationships program. If you're someone that finds yourself in repeated destructive relationships or you feel really lonely even in your close relationships or maybe you just get lost because you throw so much of yourself into the other person, the Healthy Love and Relationships program might be a good fit for you. This in-person six-day experience addresses the core wounds that we have that drive self-sabotaging behaviors and our need for approval that continues to disrupt our relationships. If you have a historical pattern of dysfunctional relationships or find yourself frequently disappointed by unmet expectations, this program provides a safe and nurturing environment for you to begin to rebuild your self-worth. The truth is that in order to connect with others, we must first connect with ourselves. And that's what Healthy Love and Relationships program will do. It helps you bolster your self-love and self-worth, leaving you with a more compassionate relationship with yourself. Not only does it do that, but it also leaves you with the tools that you need to address these issues moving forward and create healthy relationships in your future. We weren't meant to go through life alone. It's good to long for a relationship with other people. But if you have a past that you want to not repeat in your future any longer, things can change. Things can be different. You can have healthy relationships where you and your partner thrive. If you're ready to learn to truly love yourself and gain a new way of living for relationships in your future, I encourage you to check out the Healthy Love and Relationships program. You can learn more at onsiteworkshops.com or by calling 800-341-7432. It's really helpful. Like as you're reading through them and just as I hear people talk about the Enneagram, sometimes like people say things like I don't I don't get along well with twos Mm -hmm. or I don't I don't get along well with eights or whatever the 
thing is. And I'm curious, just sort of your perspective on sort of partnerships and all sorts of relationships Mm -hmm. between different numbers. Mm -hmm. And obviously there are some maybe numbers that gravitate towards each other more naturally and then some that might feel harder. But we live in a world with, you know, nine different types and Mm-hmm. We we work in offices that there are nine different types and we have to do life with different types. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. just curious your thoughts and feedback on sort of the dynamics between types. Yes, I think that that's fascinating to me. Um, and I do a lot of corporate speaking in, around this, those dynamics right here. I try to bring some awareness to like, why is it difficult or what is happening? Like what, why is that person hard for me? And uh, oftentimes I look at this uh, grouping in its connection-based groups. And so it's like the the group that is, there's a reactive group. So the, the numbers, the four, six, and eight, they are reactive and they need an emotional response before they can move on into figuring out what to do next or whatever. So they're looking for things to be mirrored back to them. And so if, you know, that's a four, six, eight, if you're not in that grouping, those type, that type of engagement might feel off-putting or scary or weird or uncomfortable for you. So if you're in the grouping, um, the one, three, five, this group really focuses on getting the information, task-oriented, like kind of eyes down, give me the, it's not eyes not eyes down away from you like a shame thing, more of a, just give me the information so I can go and do what I need to do. And so it's not as emotionally reactive or even connected than the other groups. So the one, three, five, they're, they are much more, just give me the information. So if you've got this, this reactive group and then this compliant group, it can feel like, what is going on? Like, why is there such a pull for me from these particular people or this particular person? Or I don't like that they need me to look at them and give them a, an, a yeah, let's go. Why can't I just keep doing what I'm doing and tell them, let's go? The eye contact is huge for that four, six, eight group. Um, And it is. And then you've got this other group, the positive group, the two, seven, nine. They're like, everything's going to be fine. It's going to be good. We're going to get to the other side. Everything's going to be okay. And that's grouping. (laughs) Yeah. And I laugh because this is me. I'm like, it's going to be fine. And people are like, we need the details, Jackie. I'm sure it's going to be fine. (laughs) But could you give us the details? And so... That can be off-putting to somebody that is reactive and they're having big emotions and the positive people are like, it's going to be fine. But the people that are like, it's not fine, that is not comforting at all. So those dynamics can play out in, in some fun ways. Or the one, three, five, they're like, I'm sure it's going to be fine. Give me the numbers. And then yeah. I'm sure it's going to be fine. So I think that- or like, yes. why are you making this complicated? Yeah. Yes. So I think all the numbers can work together. All numbers can be compatible. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they're all going to be easily compatible, for sure. No. But there's going to be a reason you guys are drawn together in friendship or relationship or whatever. Work environments are different. Y'all just kind of, you get in there and you, you know, you got to figure that stuff out in a different way than relationships, friendships are. But yeah. There's, there's definitely differences and there's reasons why I think things are more difficult. When you are working with teams and just like people in relationship and helping them like become integrated as a team, but also kind of talking to people individually about what, what your journey could look like towards integration. How do you Mm -hmm. go about that? Like, 
is the best practice to sort of just get well-versed in the Enneagram and then I will be able to move towards other people with compassion and curiosity? Or is there, like, do you have a special sauce for like, okay, this is the best way to get along with your team member that you like don't understand at all? I don't know if it's a special sauce. (laughs) I don't know that. Um, Tell us your ways. But I think that I break down. So I am an information person. So I like gather a lot of information and I use a lot of different techniques and tools. So I use the Enneagram, but I, I also am trained on the experiential side of stuff. So I use different modalities to help break down stories or break down different situations so people can see what's actually happening in the room or mm. happening inside of their relationships. And so it's not, I don't want people to have to go get well-versed to understand. I would rather bring pieces into the room to help them hold space. So people Beautiful. are different. And so we're created for connection. And so it's essential for us to understand ourselves so we can hold space for other people as well. And so I think that there's just this, this hopefully the awareness of why you do what you do and then an understanding, not an awareness necessarily, but an mm-hmm. understanding that other people do it different and sometimes, depending on on the group, there might be more explanation of where they're coming from. Because what I do know about the Enneagram, it's about motivation, not behavior. So yeah. I'm looking below the surface of the behavior at, at what motivates you. And there's unconscious childhood messagings. And that's where I go right to when I'm working with people, individuals. In a corporate setting, mm. it looks different because I don't want to expose people's stuff in a corporate setting. Yeah, sure. So I'll I'll be careful on how I talk about it. But those those unconscious childhood messages, there's a message that you heard growing up all the time that you feel like you've got to figure out. And then there's a message that you have longed to hear all of your life. Mm-hmm. So the message that you long to hear all of your life, you still long to hear it. I believe it's cradle to grave. I believe it's just like mm-hmm. attachment forever. theory is forever. You you are going to want this message you understood and, and like poured into all of your life. Mm-hmm. The unconscious childhood message this is what we're going to unpack because this probably has a lot of motivation in it. So just like if a one, if an Enneagram one walks into the room, they're looking at what is good and bad, what is right and wrong right away. That's their focus of attention. Well, when an Enneagram eight walks into our room, they're looking at who's in charge and can they trust that the person in charge is going to deliver what they think needs to be delivered. So it's, it's understanding those, those elements. So it really depends on what, environment I'm in on how I can get there, if that makes sense. Totally. What is the childhood wound for the four? The childhood wound for the four, it's not okay to be too, you'll see like too happy or too functional. I think it's, it's not okay to have too big of an expression, whether that Mm. is upset or angry or happy or silly, not like, don't, why are you acting like that? Like Mm. stop being such a drama queen or why are you so mopey? So it doesn't have to, I think oftentimes when you hear like, don't be too happy or too, too functional, I feel like it's a little bit confusing, but if we break Mm. it into like, it's don't be too openly expressive with your emotions. Don't make, don't take up too much space. Is that kind of Like that's good. Yeah, I've never heard about it. I've never heard it explained yeah. like that, but I like. Well, that. as you're describing, mm-hmm. I'm like that's sometimes I've had. I'm not a four. I I disintegrate in four, but I or maybe mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. But I I move toward four when I'm not when I'm not okay. But I've had people see me in that time and say to me like it's okay to take up space. 
And you know when someone mm-hmm. will say something like that to you that cuts to the quick, you're like, oh, like yeah, yeah. I never, I've never forgotten that. that. Needs, and, I think, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. For me, it feels like I think it's more like it's okay to have needs of my own, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to express yes. them. Yeah, it's okay to have needs, and it's okay to have the feelings behind the needs. You know, like it's okay. It's okay to be I, sad, mad, all of them. I have like I'm raising a four. She's fourteen, and we have lots of conversations around emotions and what does that mean? What's really behind this? Like, what is behind it? You know, because she might be really like last night. She was really angry. And I had just flown back in and jumped on sessions all day long. And my last session went long. And I mean, it was like, she didn't know what time it was, but her body knew that I said five. And so she came down at five o'clock and I was not available and her dad was not available. We were both on calls and she um, acted out a little bit. And so Mm -hmm. in that, I immediately knew she's reaching for me and I can't respond to her right now. So she's Mm -hmm. having big emotions. She's not bad and and her emotions are not bad, but she needs something and I need, and I'm not available. And so she's responding in this way. So So I was able to get off the call and go up to her and and just come sit with me, tell me what's going on. And she's like, I'm not okay. And I was like, yeah, I think that part of it was I wasn't available when you needed Mm -hmm. me. And I'm sorry about that. So beautiful because it makes you a better parent. Like you're moving towards your kids from a Mm -hmm. completely different place. I just love, I love to hear that. Yes. 100% and Lindsay can attest to that because there was years that I was like, just stop touching me. Just stop talking. Just stop everything. I was so overwhelmed in, in my life for so many different reasons. And so today... Even it's just amazing, like the awareness mm. of my own self and being able to calm my own self down and recognizing what she did made me uncomfortable, but that doesn't make her wrong or bad for doing what she did. Yeah. I yeah. had a reaction to her reaction. And wow. so I can separate that today. When when they were young, I couldn't. It was like, make it stop, make it stop, make it stop. Yeah. You know, and I think there's this like unconscious Mm -hmm. thought process uh, that we all have of like, I wouldn't do that. Why are they doing this? You know, and then the Enneagram sort of helps remind us like, oh, we're all wired differently Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we need to have like a softer lens for the motivations of why they're doing that, whatever they're doing. I love that. And so. Gosh, I love the way that you said that, a softer lens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. Thanks. I know that, like, my personal experience with the Enneagram was, like, this, like, long road of wrestling through what number am I? Mm-hmm. I, like, you know, of course, like, everyone did the online test, and I never would, like, test, like, my actual number, but I didn't mm-hmm. know it at the time. I just would, like, be like, well, the test said I was a six, or right. the test said I was a three. And so I just had to, like, keep at it and like unpeel all the layers mm-hmm. and it felt excruciating where I, I mean I was like why do I not fit and have an easy number mm-hmm. I mean I think some people read or like heard you describe the nine numbers and they're like I'm that one right I'm curious you know as you walk clients through it mm-hmm. where do most of them fall in that spectrum of finding themselves in their numbers and like how do you encourage people that it doesn't feel as clear mm-hmm that's a great question. And that happens all the time. And I, my first session usually is let's make sure it's right. You know, like, like yeah. you might know, but let's just make sure before we, st- I don't want you to do work on something that's not, not work for you. So I think that you're right. 
so when we take a personality test on, on online or any, t- any type of personality test, it's not a blood test. So somebody gave stats, and I don't know where they got these stats, but they said they're like 75% accurate. And I would agree, and maybe even less than that, you know, because you're going to answer a personality test according to how well you know yourself, maybe, or how you want other people to perceive you. Or you're going to ask somebody else to help you answer the questions, and they're going to answer how they perceive you. Yeah. But when it comes to Enneagram, it's not about that. It's about the motivation. It's about why, you, yeah. why you're doing it. And so that's tricky because a lot of people have never thought about that. This is just who I am. Why? Mm. Where does it come from? You know, what, what has caused you to be who you are today? So I, I just, I like to slow things down a little bit on the front end. I go right into this childhood messages. What, what do you most resonate with? Mm. What speaks true to you? I look at that. I look at subtypes. Subtypes can sometimes give us a good picture too, because there's three different ways that each number shows up. So it can be like, I feel like this is it, but I don't quite resemble what everybody talks about as this. So I look at those, those, you know, parts of the Enneagram to help people. And I think it's a journey. I tested as an eight when I first tested and I was like, yeah, probably. I mean, I tested in the middle of all those kids and chaos. So I was like, yeah, probably yeah, the feisty pretty version. bold and yep. mean. And a, oh <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. And I had to be gritty and I had to learn how to fight and do a lot of things on my own. And so, but as I read through it, I was like, I mean, it's, it well not really my motivation I don't care about I don't want to be vulnerable or made to look incompetent like I don't really care about that what I really cared about was like I want to know that somebody's going to take care of me and not mm-hmm. not financially it's an emotional need for a seven I want to know that somebody sees me as worth loving and when I got to that part of it in my own story it's like that is exactly what I feel like but I've always had to do things on my own and I don't know I don't know how to let anybody love me like that. And um, so I think like mm-hmm. when I'm thinking about that with you, Lynn, it's like, yeah, the journey is long. Sometimes people come in and I'll do, I'll do, we'll do six sessions and I'll look at two numbers that they're looking at and we go back to back to back to back to back. And, and um, it's their journey. So it's never my journey to tell somebody what they are. It's their journey to, to be curious around what is true for them and why mm-hmm. I know some people don't like that why question. They want me to phrase it as what or how. It gets preference. <laughs> I, yeah. like I understand the why. People say that why causes shame. I get it. And I want there to be curiosity. So yeah. I, so depending on what my client is, I'll know how to phrase that. Because I really, I, I really want to hold space for people to figure out what causes them to do what they do. And um, mm-hmm. is it working? And if it's not working, what is the... What does growth look like? What is, how do we, how do we change? We're not stuck. The Enneagram is not a tool to tell you who you are. It's a, it's just a tool to to show you where you're at. I think that for me, so much of it was around, like, it was a awareness piece and it gave language. Once I found my number, it gave language to so many things and motivations that had gone unspoken for 40 years. And I think that, the Enneagram couples so beautifully with like the type of work that Onsite does, because yes. I think once we start to have some of that self-awareness around childhood wounding and other things, we can start to ask more questions around the why or what happened that sort of allow us to dig in. And sometimes we need like 
additional resources and support Absolutely. once we get into those things. And so you've referenced a couple of times like your own on-site experience and journey and would love like whatever you're willing to share about that. Mm. Yes. So I haven't, we haven't really shared this publicly, but my husband and I did a week intensive at on-site several years ago and it was needed. It was, it was a hard, we had walked through a lot of really hard things and for us to find a good balance, secure base, I knew that I needed, I knew I needed on-site. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but I was like, I just, I need you to do this with me. And this is, this is the point that he took my hand and said, yes. Mm. Like, okay, I'm willing to look at myself as, as deep as you're willing to look at yourself. Like, okay. And so at that point, we were both ready. It was super scary. It was really yeah. scary, but we were, he was probably more ready than I was because I have a hard time with feelings and emotions. And I didn't want to open a can of worms that, that I wasn't sure I would be okay. Yeah. If that yeah. makes sense, you know, for my own, my own story, my own childhood stories to marriage over 20 years at that point and all that, that entails. So we, we did um, a week-long intensive, just the two of us. I knew I didn't want to do it with anybody else because I wouldn't be honest. And I knew that about myself. I would just watch, but I wouldn't necessarily participate. And so we did what worked best for us at that time. And it was transformational work that I use every single day. Every single day, Stephen, I use that in our marriage. I use a lot of the language, just experiences, even when I'm talking through clients about different things and some of the different techniques that they used with us. I'm like, oh, like the hula hoop, like stand in your own hula hoop. I remember when our person, I won't say his name, but our guide, he just said that I was codependent. And I just remember I was so mad at him. I had some choice <laughs> words that in that moment, he's like, I think you need to cool down. I'm like, you think I need to cool down? I mean, I was, because I had to be so, it was so awful, but I, I had, I had lived all of my life in a posture of self-preservation. Like, how do I take care of me? And I had no idea that that had looked like, if you're okay, I'm okay. okay. I had mm. no idea how much of my life it was not about taking care of me personally. It was about making sure everybody else was okay so that I could be okay. And so no wonder why I had lost myself and I didn't even know where I was. I wasn't in my own circle. I was busy in Steven's circle and anybody else's circle that I felt like I needed to be in to calm things down most of the time and make things okay so that I'd be okay. And so that experience is just, I mean, that is a teeny tiny piece of awareness that I gained compared to uh, pages of awareness. Um, so I did that and then I came back a couple, of, maybe it was a year, even a little bit longer after that um, and did a training on the experiential side of stuff. Um, so I could use that with what I do. And that was remarkable. I, everything mm -hmm. about that experience was beautiful. I love that. I love that. Thanks for sharing. No, that yeah. was vulnerable. So was, now yeah, you are kind true. of, you're, <laughs> it's amazing. You're delving into the specific partnership side of things, like related to the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And has that, obviously your time at Onsite has impacted kind of your frameworks for that. And I'm just curious yeah. if you want to give us like some of the, the hot takes from your book that is launching, I believe tomorrow, March mm -hmm. 21st. Tell us about it. I'm excited about this book because I think it has the, the potential to be a transformational work for 
marriages for people in relationship um, if they're interested in doing the work. But I'm a huge believer that information is not transformation until you activate the information. And so inside of this book, there's activities to help you take the, the information that you're learning about yourself and your partner and to do something with it. So there's activities all throughout the book to help you um, unpack this story of your life and uh, individually and then collectively come together and talk about this with your partner, you know, how, how you experience yourself and then having him or her say that about themselves and then how do you experience each other. So it starts off with just a generalization around Enneagram awareness, around your type, and it goes all the way into subtypes and stance work, which it just unpacks a lot of the childhood ways that we learned to cope and, and exist. Uh, and so the, the Enneagram gives us beautiful language around some of this stuff. Yeah. And it gives us uh, insight into the why or the what, the how of this. And so throughout the book, it's just a journey ever so slowly. And it's seven weeks. Mm. You, you can take seven yeah. weeks or you can take a little longer, <laughs> but it's into the journey of, of um, really uncovering and discovering more about yourself and your partner at the same time, because again, we are created for connection. And so if you want that connection, you have to be willing to do the work to uh, know you, to know them, and then hold space. And so it's chocked full of all kinds of interesting information and activities to help you guys connect. Awesome. Awesome. Do people need to know their type before they read this book? Or do you think you kind of, do you get into it enough to where it's like, oh, I'm seen, like that's me on the page? Uh, You probably would that, yes. I think all the tools that I try to create, the Enneagram, you don't necessarily need to know because I like the uh, more narrative approach of the Enneagram, which is the the discovering uh, side of it. But in the back of it, there is a little, a quick reference test that you could do if you wanted to just have a jumping off point, like perhaps this is where I'm at. So you don't necessarily need to know your Enneagram. And then the beginning of it will explain what the Enneagram is. So if you're, you know, you grab the book and your partner doesn't know, at least that they would have a little bit of understanding of where they're going. Because I, you know, that's probably helpful (laughs) if they have an idea of what what have you got me into, (laughs) you know. (laughs) A lot of times when we're wrapping up the interview, we'll ask people just like what is a practice that they are leaning into right now that's kind of helping them stay grounded and centered. And I'm curious what's helping you right now. I like that. So I am a person of faith. And so for me, I find that, you know, as an Enneagram 7, it's go, 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 busy, 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 all the things. And so learning how to quiet my mind and slow things down for me has been essential. And I don't like the word boundaries. There's a lot of things I don't like, you guys, but I really like the word rhythm. <laughs> and so I have found a rhythm. I like it. I just feel like there's like a movement to it. I like it. So I have found a rhythm that works really well for me in the mornings where I just get up and I come into my office. It's just a beautiful space, you know, and I do my devotional time in that, in that space, do some prayer time in that space and just have those moments to kind of set my mind in the right in the right way for the day. And so um, that is definitely a practice that I have really been leaning into lately. That's really helped me feel grounded and more, I'm more aware in a lot of, yeah. a lot of areas. Of my right. life. Before we wrap up, I have a question. This is sort of like been in, in, in my mind for a long time because I have not found consensus around it, but you know, some people say don't type other people. I've been thinking about this with my kids as I'm raising kids 
it's obviously too early to tell because I've got a three-year-old and a six-month-old. But you shared about your daughter, <laughs> yes. who's a four. Did she self-type, or do you just know that she's a four and, like, you're moving toward her as a four because it's pretty clear? Mm-hmm. I just have questions about that, particularly in the space of parenting, I suppose, but in general. Yeah, that's a great question. So because I do this work and I've done this work for a while, my kids are very aware of what I do. There's a lot of conversations around Enneagram and personality all the time, honestly, probably every single day that they are a part of. And so as they hear things about the the numbers, they have moved into those spaces. I think with my hope, though, the one that I'm talking about that I referenced today, I probably very early on could tell where she was coming from based Mm. off of early childhood trauma. She had some very significant trauma around surgeries and she presented in, in a much more tender emotional way that I could just kind of tell, I'm like, this is where she's at. And so having the awareness I have helped me, I'm not going to, I parent, I parent them all differently, but I don't want to change her story. I want to hold space for her, heart longing and in that messaging. And I want to make sure that I'm not pouring salt into her wound, if that makes Mm. sense. And so, um, and I don't do a great job at it all the time. I'm a mom of four. And so sometimes I'm like, knock it off. And she's having an emotional reaction, you know? And I'm like, stop it. But then there's other times I can come back and repair it. Like, okay, your, your emotions triggered my emotions. And so I didn't have that language early on, you guys. I really didn't. Mm. It was like a nightmare. And uh, we did a lot, like intense family counseling. Hope and I did just counseling because she was so little. She started counseling at three and we did once a week counseling for years and I would just hold her in that. So because of of her story, I think hers is a little bit different than the other ones. Um, Ashlyn, who is 19, she's an Enneagram 6. She she just kind of was like, I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm an eight. I kind of feel like I'm this. And then as she got older, she was like, she just started to really resonate with that six mm. messaging. So I think it's it's a journey of as a parent that knows a lot about this, all the numbers say certain things, you guys. Like, you just kind of pick up on it, but then uh, it's not my job to necessarily expect them to live that out. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But it is my job with the awareness to understand what's happening. So I have another kiddo that presents as an eight. I'll say presents as an eight because she's still young. And I think that that's right, but maybe it's not. You know, she's that's her story. But she resonates with that at this stage in all of her childhood backs that part of her but it's my job when she had when she gets really strong and bold I it's my job to lean into that like what does she feel scared right now like what is making her feel like she's got to be overly protective right now like what's happening in the environment that is Mm. that is causing her to to use her defense mechanisms so it kind of slows things down for me but yeah as far as typing no, you shouldn't type your kids, but I do think if you are pretty Enneagram aware, you can probably see tendencies and then yeah. holding space for your child to develop with that understanding is helpful. I love that. It's great. It's so beautiful. There's so much grace there, I think, for mm-hmm. you to parent them in a way that is like tailored to them, essentially, but mm-hmm. also to let them embark on their own journey of what it means to be yeah. human and how to find their footing in the world. And I just, I love that. It's super encouraging. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. 
This was so fun. I know. I'm so I'm so honored that you guys would ask me to do this. Of course. I'm very, very honored. Thank you. Aww. We're excited to have you. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.